0: You know, I've been called a lot of things in my life, but one of the things I've never been called is a Disney princess, though I actually might be one. My guest today, well, somebody was being a little snarky, and they called her a Disney princess, and she didn't care. You know why she didn't care? Because she's super cool, and you're about to meet her. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast hosted by me the disney princess check this out
1: thinking of you makes a twitch makes me itch and i'm sticking all the wrong places kid till it stings like a bitch and your fingerprints are faded tattoos on my porcelain skin when i feel like a guest and my own queen bed when i soak in a scrub but i'll never forget you despite all my friends and the better judgments yes Nevertheless, I'm so thirsty, thirsty, thirsty. Thinking of you makes me twitch, makes me itch. And now my pants don't fit like they used to fit. And I feel a bite like a teeth in my side.
0: forgot I'm not supposed to play the whole song not yet uh it's hard to turn that one off i love it so much uh that is the music of elizabeth and the catapult a band which features my guest today on the program elizabeth simon let me tell you a little bit about elizabeth simon the greenwich village born elizabeth simon started playing the piano at a young age how young well she wrote her first song at age 6 so pretty young. A start like that makes her scholarship to study classical composition at the Berklee College of Music, and her nabbing an ASCAP, Lieber, and Stoller scholarship not a very big surprise. So her scholastic plan was hatched, and she was ready to go. But like they always say, the best plans are born from the plans that don't happen, and you can't plan for that. You just go with it. And Simon did just that. Her plan to focus on scoring films was upended by Patty Austin tapping her for an Ella Fitzgerald tour that found Simon on the road for almost two years. She got back to Berkeley, and as her collegiate career was winding down, she put together Elizabeth and the Catapult. From there, things started to move fast. The band put out an EP in 2006, signed with Verve in 2008, and their first album, Taller Children hit shelves in 2009. In the past 15 years, the Brooklyn Band has put out five albums, collaborated with Ben Folds, Gillian Welch, and David Rawlings, opened for Sarah Bareilles at Madison Square Garden, and nabbed an Independent Music Award. That fifth album I mentioned is Sincerely E, a nimble and poetic effort written and recorded during the past year under quarantine. If you're one of those people who found yourself making a series of pandemic pivots since March of 2020, Sincerely E is perfect for you. It's the soundtrack of those pivots. A heartbreaking, soulful, and comforting effort, it finds Simon playing with poise, finesse, wisdom, and grace. From the spry pop of thirsty to the thoughtful and aching pop the placebo, it's stark, it's dark, and it's ultimately thrilling. And so is this conversation. I love chatting with her. This is me and Elizabeth Simon having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
2: There, I had a very unique experience at Berkeley, and I almost never talk about um, Berkeley, so it's nice that I, I finally have uh, a stage for this. Um, I went to Berkeley to study film composition. I ended up actually doing a lot of film composition in my life, um, but I did not end up getting the film composition degree because when I met Esperanza Spaulding, um, who I was playing my funny little, uh, well at the time like teenage songs with, um, she was going on tour with Patty Austin, who is an amazing jazz singer. And they were looking kind of for like a cheap student band. Uh, so I uh, auditioned to be a backup vocalist for that band. And we ended up touring so much that I ended up not taking as many composition classes that I thought I would, but because Berkeley is just a different kind of school. Uh, they give you credit for touring. So I didn't get the full degree <laughs> or uh, you know educational experience that one would have. And I actually I'm kind of bummed about it. If I could do it all over again, I would just, the thing I liked about that um, department is that they uh, combined engineering with composition. So I could have used all those engineering skills so long ago. Now I'm doing all this stuff myself anyway, but it would have been cool to get a leg up on that. Um, But I, you know, I met some, what I got out of Berkeley, which is what Jonah's police woman said is you meet the people that you're going to create music with for the rest of your lives. So I met um, all the guys. Well, they're now in Lucius, but I played with them for about seven years. Um, But Uh, my two, Danny and Pete, I met in, uh, in Berkeley and we played together for a long time.
0: Yeah. It's like you meet, you meet your teammates, you meet the people, right. You put, you put Mm -hmm. together the squad. Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting to hear that you had gone to school there, you know, with a, with a sort of, um, an interest in, in film and scoring films. Um, that seems like a really early realization for you as an artist, was that something that had been sort of germinating for you as a kid? You were, you were watching a lot of films and thought I could score that better. Like, where did that- Oh,
2: come wow, from? no, no foresight whatsoever. But thank you for <laughs> expecting that I was that astute at such a young age. No, I, uh, I took a year off after high school and I was just like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I wasn't even really singing a lot then. I just kind of took a year where I, I worked and made some extra money. And I sang along to just so many vinyl records that my parents had, you know, Joni, Stevie, Carol King, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday. I just started singing and I realized that and, and I wrote my first songs and I realized that I, I wanted to do music in some capacity. And I had um, studied composition at Mahan School Music when I was pretty young. Um, and so I just, I didn't know how I was going to put it together yet, but I knew that I wanted to, um, compose somehow. And I thought that this was an interesting, um, avenue.
0: Were your parents supportive? Were they, were they pretty supportive of you going into sort of an artistic, um, area?
2: Yeah, very supportive. My father, um, had been an actor and, um, just listened to so many great jazz records when I was a kid I just had Monk and Miles Davis and, I mean I just had all the greats playing all the time and they were big music fans and uh just kind of been like Gr- Greenwich Village since the 70s I mean I would compare them to Friendly Boots mm. which had it's a city like that's the vibe <laughs> that
1: I grew up in good vibe
2: and uh great vibe I was doing like like I was uh taking a modern dance class when I was 10 years old, and I picked John Cage as like, like wow. a drumming only, like a bongos only, a piece. that was called Death of a Snake. I was a dying snake. Anyway, point being that um, I had this very like New York City upbringing, and I absolutely was like pushed into like, you know, it's very, it's rare, like find your dreams you like that you seem to be pretty good at it go forth you know yes that's and i'm i still like my parents uh actually especially on this album um they're such good writers um my dad was a script editor as well and my mom was a journalist in her early career um and she and they uh I, I gave them all my lyrics for my songs this time, and I was like, "Do you see anything? Any edits? Am I saying this clearly?" And they had some—they had some great notes, really great notes. And I think that my album is better for my parents'
0: editing. I will—I will give you that. <laughs> Can you? Are you good at taking notes generally?
2: You know what? Um, I think it's depend who you ask in my life. Like, I think that I have to. I think. Um, I think it's really hard to, I mean, it depends, but I've had some rubs with some producers that I've worked with in my life. Um, or even Danny from that I, that I spoke about earlier, he's really worked with me as a a producer or a co-producer over the years on all of my albums and something that, um, He definitely um, experienced with me. I know Richard Swift experienced this with me um, on the album that we worked on together um, and Tony Berg on some of my early, on one of my early albums is that I'm such a, that I really want to be producing and I really want to, you know, hold all the keys. And I, I have such an arranging head from all the film product, I mean, film writing stuff that I do that I think that I can be, I can be kind of controlling in that vein. And sometimes it's hard for me to let go. And so it's always a process of like letting go. So right. I would say in that capacity, I'm less open-minded, although it really depends on the situation. But, um, but like in terms of if anyone ever has notes on my actual writing, like I'm part of songwriting clubs now on Zoom, woo! <laughs> like silver lining this last year. I can, I'm like really, I, I, I think I would like to say that I am pretty open when it comes to like lyric notes and like any like harmonic or, or even production, like critiques I think are, are really fun. I really like, I, I'm really open to it, but I just have to say, so I had to admit that, that like over the years I'm a pain in the ass, I think in the studio um, at times.
0: Do you, when, when you're being a pain in the ass, do you think in, in in your brain, are you like, I'm totally being a pain in the ass right now?
2: Well, I think I'm just, I'm not the normal mold of, of someone who, I, I don't know, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I would just say, I think that there's a lot of, like, I, I played the, the, the Rhodes, the Mellotron, the, you know, I wrote the string arrangements. I played the guitars. I played like, you know, i Played most of the things on my album, and so right. um, that doesn't mean that I haven't played with bands over the years, and that I'm around people that play things amazingly and beautiful. But I always, I'm always going to hear a melody, at least, of or around something that I want people to play, and I think that it's, um, I think that it's been like this push and pull of getting out of the composition head when collaborating with people and still having your voice, but still giving people space and breath to bring what they have to the table as well. And I think with a producer specifically, at, and me as like really a co-producer type, that, that was a funny rub. I think that was a funny rub.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess the, the question would be, can you just do the production yourself?
2: So yes, that's what I've done this time
0: yes yeah. right That's, that, that, yeah because that, that was my yeah yeah because <laughs> it, 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 it seemed like you just took the reins and went you know although I mean it's, it's amazing you got to work with Richard who is a remarkable um musician amazing. remarkable right amazing um and Tony Berger there's no point in even talking about how incredible he is so you got a yes. chance to really work with great producers so you Absolutely. you got a chance to see what they did but now that you did it on your own
2: yeah. um
0: how did you like that experience
2: You know, I think that the main difference between those experiences and what I'm doing now is that you're not in a, like, I don't know, lauded studio that has all the gear and the engineers and, you know, these ears of people that have been doing this their whole lives. Um, And... I really have Danny to think still even though he wasn't producing with me this round. He took, you know, I just I there's I wasn't using any like li- library sounds or uh, you know, I wasn't like digging into fake sounds on this record. I was like I want this to sound like my house. I want this to sound like where I'm doing it. People have been telling me forever for my live streaming which I've been doing forever to just capture that feeling um of me at my piano and then anything else that's made in my house like capture it in the, in the most raw way possible and give that to us on a record. And so I just took a mic and I would just say okay I'm playing mellow try to take the mic put it next to them playing guitar take a mic put it so it's all it's all miked and it's all so it's all these like live sounds in my house and if something was recorded in a kind of uh I'll find a word for it but not ideal way um Danny his mixing and my friend Stephen K who mixed a bunch of my last record as well they just like you know they poured some perfume on that dirt <laughs> just like, you know they made it shine baby they made it shine so I am really grateful for that but it also it's like empowering it's like you know what I don't have to be and I say this to a lot of my friends because home recording is a thing this year is I say you know you don't have to get the best sound in the world concentrate on the song if the song is there and the part is there do the best you can and you may be very surprised at what mixing and mastering can bring to the table with this process
0: yeah it yes and i and i i've heard things that are there's a kind of like a varnish a kind of magical varnish that kind of comes mm-hmm. um you know, I'm a writer, and I, if, I, if I write and then I give myself the editorial distance where maybe take a week or two, let it sit, and then come back to it, I then become the editor. And I become the person who is making the sort of businessy decisions of this yeah. needs to right, get rid of this, move that. And so I recognize yeah. those are two very different processes. Yes. For you, when you, you know, you do the artistic side of things and then you move into the production of it but that still is artistic. So yes. is, that, is that still part of the process or is that a totally different hat?
2: Um, I think that my, my process usually goes like this. I have an idea for a song. I overhear something. I watch something. I read something. I wake up in the middle of the night. Whatever, what have you? But it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a narrative idea. It's not based on music yet. And so then I come up with a lyric. Then I, I usually write all of the lyrics, <laughs> at least like half of them, at least a verse and a chorus before I've even brought any music into it whatsoever. Wow. I have an idea of where this, what the song's about, where it's going, what I want to say. And then then I'll go to the melody. So because I don't have, because I only have the lyrics. So I just walk, I usually take a walk. I'm doing some dishes, something else that like gets, gets my... Uh, Analytical brain out of the way, and I and I turn it into a melody. Once it, I have the basic melody and lyrics for it. Then I bring it to the instrument, and so then I then I you know give the harmony, and then the production can be a part of getting into the style of the song. That can be part of that. So it's still artistic, and then I think even like trying out. I have songs that I tried out many different like pop the placebo, which was my first single. I just shared with my Kickstarter, uh, community, uh, the very first demo of that. And there's many different demos of it. There's like, you know, they they all sound so different. There's something it's, it's like very electronic in the beginning. And then I had like kind of more of like a Amy man, like rock version of it. And then it turned into, I don't know. It's more cinematic I think is the last, um, iteration but I think that you can really find the style of the song while producing so I think it's still the same hat I think when you get into selling the record yeah. you get into the business of promotion which is where it's the business I've been sitting in and it still can be very creative um I'm working with a f- my friend Lindsay who uh who's really like the artistic director of this album and she has like the left brain, brain, right brain thing going on, where she can, you know, she can make these, this promotional stuff still very artistic. But I think at the end of the day, I haven't written anything since I started the promotion. I haven't written like a single lick of a song.
0: <laughs> right. I'm, how like, can you? In
2: promo- I'm in promoting mode. Right. And I just, and so like I can like practice an instrument or figure out how I'm going to play these productions solo or whatever, what have you. But in terms of like really, uh, just like sitting down and being like, okay, what am I going to write about today? What's the new song? I haven't done that because it's just a different part of who I am, I think at this point.
0: It's dominating. I mean, I I just finished a new novel and someone asked me, what are you working on now? And I'm like, now I'm working on the business side of things. Now I'm working on figuring out how to get this novel to the right people, to get it to the right people, to get it to the right people. What's the novel? Uh, it's a it's a novel uh, about a giant uh, it's a novel about an unwanted house guest who's dressed as a rabbit. Um but Do you know
2: that I do you know that I have a rabbit?
0: No, I didn't know that. You have a rabbit?
2: That's I don't know if you can see him. Wait, is he there? He's in the sun.
0: He's in the sun, let's see. <laughs> you, I, oh
2: oh you can't see him because he's literally in the sunlight. He's oh, sleeping he, okay. in the sunlight. He,
0: well, you have a wanted house guest. Mine is an unwanted <laughs> house guest. Um, and someone said, "Well, what are you working on now?" And I was like, "The idea of creating right now—it's almost like that road is closed. I right. can't—I can't get past." So I get what you're saying—that there, right now, there is—you've shifted to this other stream that you need to tend to before you can get back to the creative place. So then I guess that's the clearest demarcation point where you can see those two worlds separate. Um, Are you equally comfortable in both worlds? No, absolutely not. I I thought you'd say that. Yeah. The second one sucks.
2: The people that are like, yes, are just kill, are just, you know, they're speaking of catapulting. They're just like constantly, flying man because yeah,
0: they're incredible you know
2: they can keep creating and then they they you know like there's people that it reminds me of people who are like uh i went i wrote an album and then i went on the road and i wrote an entire other album and then i came home and i recorded that album then i went on the road and i was writing the album on the road like people that can just kind of constantly stay in creation mode whilst doing all the necessary stuff i think are superheroes and they're they're, they exist. They're around. Uh, I, I, I hope to be one of those people someday, but I'm, you know, I'm fine with, with taking the breaks. I think that it's necessary to, to see both sides, but, uh, I definitely like, I'm so grateful for the people in my life that, um, really, I mean, like I was speaking about, uh, Lindsay, um, I have people who around me right now that are just so good at this stuff <clears throat> and so helpful in every facet when it, of like editing and um, just coming up with new ideas and 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 really like pushing the envelope on the business side. And those are, the thi- those are the people you need around when that's not stuff that comes naturally to you. And I know a lot of artists where it doesn't come naturally to them and it's like you have to be super grateful for the people that are good at that stuff that are around you.
0: Yeah, and it really does. The way that the model is kind of changing right now because mm-hmm. of what's gone on. Um, yeah. it makes you wonder, like, is this the way that business will be done now for the foreseeable future? And you almost have to get comfortable with that idea.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I'm so lucky that I, that I've always live streamed and that I think I kept my audience over the years, even when I wasn't, when I was doing more film scoring or when I wasn't touring as much, um, I was always live I was always putting up my new songs right away, even before they were really finished and just asking my audience, like, what should, what should we title this song I'm terrible titles? Um, like, what, what do you think of, like, these are different versions of the same thing. And I just kept them kind of on my Facebook page going. And so it's like now this, I mean, this has been a total lifesaver with the streaming just to feel like myself. Um, and I can do that. I can like create and like put stuff out there, but you know, it requires a little bit more sophistication than that, you know? So,
0: well, But you're also, you've been very, you've been very generous and brave to show unvarnished elements of your creative process with your fans. Because not a lot of people would, there are, I shouldn't say not a lot. There are some artists who don't want you to see it until they, you know, they decide this is perfect. And you're not afraid to show imperfection. Um, (sighs) Has... Have you always been like that, or because it feels very collaborative and it feels very obviously very brave to do that? But um, that's not uncomfortable for you.
2: Well, I think that I my my whole life is um, <laughs> all of our lives are like finding peace, finding especially as people that are like uh, you know perfectionists. We're all perfectionists in some way, especially if we're artists and we're super self-critical. So I think that it's it's my way of kind of like chiseling away of trying to be more vulnerable with my my audience all the time. Um, also, if, if you've seen any of my live shows, even like with a band, I mean, I would get in trouble all the time for just changing up the set list, being like <laughs> kind of just like asking people to do things that they have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, I'm just like very I'm like I, I teeter on the side of being too improvisatory and free sometimes uh, saying too much, et cetera, what have you. Um, but I think that, uh, I've, I've, I've just never been, um, the, you know, very, uh, straight or, or like, even, even when I, I remember when I was on Verve and I was putting out, it was like my first or my second record. And I was get, I was playing live on radio shows and they were saying, why are you changing the melody to this single? you're changing the melody online. Why are you doing that? And I I just think, oh my God, why do I do that? I don't know why I do that. I, it's hard for me to stick to a script. And I've had multiple opportunities in my life to do different things with musicals, actually. Um, The first one was, uh, I was given this like really big, it was with Bill Irwin. It was like to do, to, to be, um, to take like Nellie McKay's Role in this Broadway musical. And I said, like, what's the schedule? What do I have to do? They were like, you just have to do the same exact thing, like, two times a day, every day for the next, like, we don't know how many years. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I was like, it's not even that I, I mean, that sounds so interesting. This is like, also, this is like more money than I've ever heard of, but doing the same exact thing, like, same exact way, that's going to be a big challenge for me. I don't know if I actually have that in me. I've never even sang my own songs the same way every time, so um, I don't even remember what the question was at this point. But well, I like I've gone at such a. But I but I think that I literally when you're like, oh, are you? Do you put yourself under pressure to like, uh, I don't know, be the same or like or to, or is it like is it hard for you to share things that are not perfect? Absolutely not, because I don't know how I don't know how to do things in like the perfect way.
0: That makes sense. Well, when the, it does. And with the Bill Irwin experience, how was that? I didn't do it. You didn't do it.
2: It's, I, I, every other time, and I actually had an opportunity that would have been equally or even more kind of a big deal for me that actually fell through because of um, because of this year. And uh, I don't know where we stand with NDAs if things aren't happening anymore, but let's <laughs> just say that this time I said yes to a similar kind of thing. Okay. And, um, but because I was like, well, you know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta just kind of take the bull by its horns and and see where this goes, you know, even if it's not something that you're used to. Um, but I think that, uh, it it just doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally to me. And I think that my fans accept that, that there's like a lot of imperfections going on.
0: (laughs) Well, did you say no to the, or one thing because of, you didn't think you could could do the same thing? Or is that, is that the the reason why you didn't? That's the, that's
2: the narrative in my brain that I told myself. I don't know if that's what I said to them, but (laughs) to myself, I was like, you can't even get up to the same for the same yoga class on like on time like three times a week. How are you going to like actually perform this music the same way? Every day. And it just, it seems so. And I also had like a record I wanted to release. It doesn't matter what the excuses were that I told myself. I I excused myself and my brain out of the situation.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Michael Keaton, I heard an interview with him years ago. Yeah. And he talked about how he never... Because he certainly had the opportunity to Mm -hmm. be on sitcoms early on because he was really just had so much velocity as a performer. Um, This is long before Beetlejuice, whatever, but he he really had a lot of opportunities to be on a sitcom. And he Mm -hmm. said the idea of doing the same thing for, Mm -hmm. for an indefinite amount of time just did not appeal to him. And he, Mm -hmm. if you look at his work, not that I'm comparing his career to Elizabeth and the Catapult. Oh my
2: God, love this so much. Go on forever.
0: Okay. okay. (laughs) but I kind of am because he he never did the same thing twice. And if you look at the stuff he did, I mean, as improbable as it was for me leaving high school to hear Michael Keaton was going to be Batman. Um, The (laughs) same guy who's Beetlejuice, the same guy who is, look at his crew and you go, this guy never did the same thing twice. Right. Right. So, like, so, and he literally turned that big money down—the Bill Irwin money, right? Yeah. Because he did. He consciously did not want to repeat.
2: Yes, I think that that I, looking back, think it's a very dumb move. I appreciate <laughs> how you know headstrong I was about this. Um, since then, like, I've had you know, like, I was um, offered a job last year. I, I. Did a bunch of work on Little Voice, which was Sarah Bareilles' TV series, and I came in as a uh, the musical coach for all the actors. And then she ended up going on tour, and I was doing more like musical producing and 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 just any like musical aspect of the show. I was wearing a lot of different hats, and then I ended up, you know, scoring the first episode and I just did a lot of different things on that and so it was exciting but I but I also you know I had to show up at a specific time every day and but it was exciting because I didn't know what I was gonna do but what I'm saying is like I think since then I I just if you're given any opportunity even if it's out of your wheelhouse you just got to say yes because it's because it's gonna be challenging and it's gonna be cool and you don't know if you're ever gonna do that again you know what I mean I so so being on a stage with Bill Irwin where he's a mime is very different and doing the same thing every day is very different than what I do, but it's still a cool opportunity, right? Yeah. That's like the, that's the end of the day. That's like the older me looking back on six years ago and saying, all right, you little cutie.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's funny because six years ago, doesn't seem like that long ago, but Mm -hmm. you can really transform in. Oh yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, you kind of explained also why you never became an accountant, because it literally is the same thing every day. And some yeah. people some people love that. There are people yeah. who get married at twenty-two years old because they like they like that sort of anchor. They need that yes. anchor. Um yes. I was, you know, people I went to college with um were married at twenty-three. And, you know, I and I remember thinking like, wow, that just seemed crazy to me. But I understand. I get it. I understand that sort of. You There's want that. In it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Habits are habitual living is, you know. I still tr- I still have all of my habits, you know, and and it kind of leads me to, like, what a lot. What this this record is about trying to find normalcy in like an insane experience, and a lot of that stuff was you know, whether or not I'm like kind of fighting against it, which was like, you know, my song about together alone, which is about being on the phone all the time. Um, or, you know, pop the placebo which is my first single, which was about, um, you know, like kind of fighting back against the wellness industry and all of the, the bombardment of ads that we're um, sifting through every day. But I think that we're, you know, the self betterment thing was just like a, like, we're just trying to feel sane and we're just trying to build habits right now. Um, that may make us feel okay, you know, in isolation in a house alone. And um, for you know, it's maybe okay, like when the world is normal, to just like get up at different hours and you know, get up at like noon one day, I get up at like seven the next, you know, the next day, I'll stay out all night, whatever, whatever I want. I can, you know, when the world is different, that that kind of flexible living feels okay when you're isolated if I don't have like, you know, the thing that I do every morning, like I cuddle with my buddy that I like, I have my coffee ready, And then I, you know, I play crosswords every night. I have all these like really interesting new habitual things that I do. I like have to like take a walk every day or else I'll feel a little nuts. Um, I feel like I've tried, I've brought in that accountant (laughs) mindset a little bit more. So that I can just make sure that I'm like mentally healthy, um, whereas I didn't need to do that as much otherwise.
0: Right, right. So it's a it's a it's a, it's a perfect blend of improvisation and ritual. Yes. yes. Right. Yes. And so has it made you appreciate the idea of consistency?
2: Yes, I think I went. I uh, the thing that my that Papa placebo was about was. You know, I think that a lot of people, I hear this a lot from my friends, especially at the the height of the pandemic when we were really, like, quarantined, um, was that they were, like, putting extra pressure on themselves to, like, you know, write that book or, like, (laughs) compose that opera or, like, why weren't they doing more, you know, whether it's, you know, for for activism or whether it's just for self-betterment. And I think that you can go too far with it. Like, I'm really annoyed at Noom. Have you heard of Noom? I know it's Noom. Thing on my They're like, they were just bombarding me with ads. And I finally was like, fine. I, was, I don't know why I need this, but fine. And then I was so pissed off at them, like making me take quizzes all day about my relationship with food and the psychology behind food. It freaked me out. And it's comp- I felt like this is a compulsive situation where I'm like tracking everything about I don't why do I have why do I have to to be on noom and that's the kind of thing is like I think that is when the self betterment goes too far here when you're in isolation it's really not it's not self betterment anymore it's compulsion it's obsession it's weirdness but right. i think that a certain amount of the of the ritualistic and like just taking care of yourself going on a walk cooking more that's lovely yeah you know um but yeah, I just, I, it's a, it's a, it's a balance.
1: My friend Cleo doesn't care if it's placebo. If you open up her mind, really let the blood flow. She talks in crystals, always sitting down to give you unsolicited advice. Tarot cards and rainbows. But my friend Wheeler, he's been talking to a healer ever since his wife left home. about the prospects of my soul Says he knows more He said he'd rather work on patients who believe they will survive Grateful for all they got And just the same, the perfect medicine won't save you If you're confident, you'll die If you made your mind up Cause I was taking sugar pills and I didn't even know it Till the doctor finally told me said you think
0: I just want to get that to Noom for one second. Are you mad at Noom or are you mad at yourself for letting Noom manipulate you as much as it was able to do digitally?
2: Um, Oh, so good. Such a good question. And uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely just in general mad at ads. I don't like how much they're tracking my conversations or whatever, what I bought, what I've looked up on Google, whatever it is. I think it's... It just breeds paranoia and it's terrible. Yeah. (laughs) I'm mad. I am totally mad at myself for just being like, well, I saw this ad enough. Instead of hiding it, maybe I'll try it. And then realizing that it's, you know, I mean, they're like, you must weigh yourself every day. I don't, I never weighed myself every day. Why must I do that right now? I mean, I am someone, I seem to be, I'm doing fine with food. You know, I cook more. I have farm-to-people delivering their vegetables to me. Like I have an air fryer. I have an InstaPot. Like I'm, I have a healthy relationship. And um, why are you making me feel weird? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Or oh, and also, and wh- and also, what's interesting is that why are we able to be made to feel weird by something mm. that that simple? Like why are oh, we yeah. so right? Like it gets into your head oh. where you go like, oh yeah, maybe I should do that even though there's no need to do that whatsoever yep. are, are, are we that susceptible
2: yeah especially if you have more time and you're i mean this is just like i mean this ad- addiction right now is just like you know with our phones is like it's like gambling or like an addiction to drugs it's all the same stuff uh, yeah. i think it's like the same synapses in our brain um you know they've done studies you know like supposedly it's like changing the like you know not just like mentally uh or like with with our chemicals but it's like changing our like physical like the curvature of our necks and like for sure the shape of yeah. our brains and everything yeah. i mean like this is this is real shit like i did i was, i said that i um i was doing uh a, a press release for my song together alone and and for that video on um, that i have that takes place in the phone when I was saying that, you know, I really was having dreams that I had phones for hands. Felt like it was it was my body. And uh and it is. You know, like I I dare not look at how much time I've spent, how much more time I spend on my phone, you know, like that little app that like tells you how many hours oh,
0: yeah. I can't. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, it, you know, I've used for years, I've used this, right? Which is Ah,
1: oh, nice.
0: Right. I know. But then yeah, I know. But then someone gave me like an old one of these, right?
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I started using it just very casually. And it will literally check in with me and say like, hey, we've noticed that you, uh, your screen time is up 75% from last week. And then that's it. And I go, wait, so is that good? Like what, 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 is, the, what is the evaluative comment attached to that, right? I'm not being scolded. And I'm not being praised. So that information is left to me to decide what that means. Whew. I know. It's rough. It's rough. I know. We all should be coming. Throw it
2: in the, river. Throw it in the Hudson River.
0: <laughs> That's one of the
2: lines for this song. I'm so funny now. I'm quoting myself. It's like, oh, does your right. potential make you feel bitter? Throw your computer in the Hudson River.
0: Yes, which is the, up- when I heard that, I thought to myself, that is the updated version of the Ned's Atomic dustbin line from the, eight- from the early 90s of kill your television. It's just the same yes. idea, mm-hmm. right? Get rid of it um you know
2: but am i strong enough to do so i mean then i can't do this i can't like i wouldn't know i wouldn't know when i was supposed to do my sweet interview with you which i'm just <laughs> enjoying so much you know it's like that's the thing is it's like the good the bad the foolish and the like life-saving sides of technology and it's all combined
0: it is and i think you have to figure out it does reveal something about you as a person, like how you, can you slow drip it or do you take it all at once? And there are times where I'll be working here on something and my cat is sleeping on the stereo behind me. And after about two hours, I turn around and I feel like a dick for not having been more attentive to him, you know? Oh,
2: yeah. he's like, well, such a good owner.
0: Well, I just feel, yes. like, I feel like I'm not a good owner. If I feel like, I'm, what am I doing looking at the phone when I should yeah. be? you know, like you were saying, you'll, you'll spend time cuddling the bunny. And like, I think that's, yes. that probably is healthier than cuddling yeah. the phone.
2: Well, yes. I mean, I think that, I mean, the, I'm still looking at my phone first thing in the morning in bed, uh, while, whilst cuddling the bunny, um, which is like a new habit for me of like, just do, I, and I've just kind of like succumbed to it. It's very strange. Um, but I, but my bunny is almost a decade old and Whoa. he's like my best friend for sure. Uh, and, uh, So I'm trying to include these like extended cuddling sessions in the morning and at night and like at noon, like I'm trying to make sure that it's, I'm scheduling them in every day because, you know, I mean, pets are getting a good deal right now, getting to be with their owner so much, but I'm just like, you know, we're at the end of the line here. Just going to try to, even if it's like extending for one month with this cuddle, like I feel the extra pressure to do so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. I, yeah. I've been thinking about yeah. rabbits so much because of the because of the book that I wrote, yeah, and so I can't it's wait like, yeah, yeah. I'll happily send it to you. Oh, thank um, you. It's uh, yeah. So I've been thinking so much about about rabbits have been on on the brain, <laughs> um, you know. But anyway, yeah. So I do think that there is something to be said about what does this reveal about me as a person. Where, for example, if I were to when I got really into Breaking Bad, I remember that I would watch mm. an episode and then it would say next episode and I'd go okay and then yeah, of course. hours later it's dark outside and I haven't eaten and I'm still wearing my pajamas and
2: and it's also I, like the most depressing show on earth. Oh, I mean it's I mean, amazing. Yeah. It's like The Wire. It's like you have to see it and it's terrible for you.
0: But so <laughs> I know, you got you but you need it. Um, but the yeah. thing is is that I wonder you know but that rewired my brain. Because yeah. in the old days you'd watch a show and you'd think about it for a week and you'd sit with it and then you'd come yeah. back to it the following week and you knew exactly what was going on. You'd pick it right up. Yeah. Um, and I, I think about music that way too, where, you know, you, you would listen to a full album and our brains have been rewired by the digital world to not listen to full albums. And yes. I, I yes. wonder if it's, if it's irreparable. I wonder if this is the equivalent to giving man fire and there's literally no way back. Do you mm-hmm. think of that as an artist? And do you think like I'm making an album, will people do it front to back? Because I still do, but my brain is sort of getting rewired to not think like that.
2: I think that, you know, I still, like especially with this album, uh, my favorite songs are at the end of the album. And it doesn't mean the most, you know, commercial songs, but just my favorite songs. And I actually, I usually end my ballads I mean, end my albums with a a couple ballads that, like, mean a lot to me. And once again, here we go. But I did these, you know, like, live, just me and a piano, uh, solo, very raw, like, vulnerable performances that I'm really proud of. It's my favorite songs, too, and they're the end of the album. And um, so I do that kind of pretty much every time, but especially this time. I think it really tells a story because it's all about, you know, this whole album is about trying to figure out how to how to stay sane and how to communicate in this new way with others and then how to like hold on to the idea of hope in very hopeless times. And the last and you know, these these songs are called Hope My Sometimes Friend. So I want people to hear that song. Do I believe that most people are gonna hear that song? No. <laughs> I think oh. that I don't think that people are gonna listen to my whole album unless they're like fans that have been following me for the last decade. If they have been, they're going to definitely listen to this whole album as a piece of work. And I hope they do, but like for Spotify, no, I I think that the, what people are going to hear on Spotify are the songs that, you know, I mean, pop the placebo made it to all of these like folk playlists. And so more people are going to hear that Um, together alone, which is, you know, really like a musical and, in one song because it has all these different sections and it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's unique in that way. It's definitely not like a radio single. Are people going to hear that song as much? Probably not. Mm. People going to watch the video as much, even though it's like something that I'm like very, very, I mean, I'm not the most, I, I may be the most proud of this video of just in terms of like how it told a story that's relevant, it's timely and it actually, it really elevated this song and I'm so psyched about it. Are people going to actually see it? I have no idea, no idea. Um, but, and that's, it has nothing to do with the quality of what I'm putting out. But it's an right. interesting thing when you think about what, that, when you say, I know this is not as commercial. I'm still pushing this as my second single. Are people going to hear it? Not sure. Am I more proud of this than most things I've done? Yes. Is it still worth it making this a second single? Yes. I mean that's how that like little narrative goes in my mind, you know that cycle.
0: I, I wonder about that for an artist because I think like, well, what yeah. if you were a painter and someone's going to walk into a gallery and just see like a tenth of your painting? You know, it's like that would that would never happen, right? And I mean, I think like, I always feel, you know, that for me albums are very novelistic with the way they're sequenced. There, there yeah, is a beginning, middle, and end, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, we. I remember I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about like what is your favorite album closer of all time? That's a real thing, you know? Yeah. Um. So for an artist, does that get into your head where you go like, I'm going to sequence it because that's really important to me and this is how I'm visualizing it. But to hear you say, I know that a lot of people won't have this experience, that just makes me, it kind of bums me out in a in a way, you know?
2: Um, yeah, I think that, you know, I won't let myself get too involved because yeah. it, it just... uh. There, there is a separation in my mind between the stuff I love and the stuff that's been, that it, like the stuff that's most popular. I do have to say that I, I think, I mean, I did have like, you know, a major label behind it, so it, it had more of a chance. But on my second record, I had this song, Thank You for Nothing. Hmm. And it's, it's probably, I think it's just in terms of like saying a lot in the most simplistic way possible, um, a digestible piece of work. I think it's like one of my best songs, and it's a ballad, and it sounds kind of Leonard Coheny, and it never got any radio play, but it uh, it's one of my most popular songs amongst my fans, and it got me opportunities like, you know, going on tour with Sarah Bareilles, and I don't know, Anne Hathaway spoke about it, and you know getting ready for this movie. She was, I actually was in a movie that with her because of that song, there's just, there's different um, avenues of like, you know, opportunities you get from songs. So I, so I already got like a a commission for a choral piece from this together alone being released. Um, Wow. And so that's a, that's a different kind of, but, but, and I have a lot of like support from my peers and from, from musicians that I, I I really love, and so I think that there's you know that stuff is important too. Whether or not it gets like widespread
1: acclaim, <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh,
2: God, who the hell cares at this point? I mean, like, what is that? And it's not always going to hit that way, but it's but it but it can be something that I that like people that dig my music appreciate. People that already dig my music,
0: you know. And I'm sure that you hear from people on social media who will write to you and say this deep cut uh, track nine really did it for me and and we're right. We're so clearly they are listening all this. Right.
2: Yeah. What's interesting. What's really interesting about my audience is that the people that tune into my live streams and they're usually solo me sometimes, you know, I do looping and what have you from time to time, but I have, but it's me and a piano or it's me and a guitar and the people that tune in week after week, they're always asking me for the ballads. They're, it's not very often that they're like, oh my God, will you play, you know, this song Race You that, you know, (laughs) that's like this dumbass song about running through the woods that was very catchy and sweet. They're like, will you play Golden Ink? Or Thank You For Nothing? Or, you know, um, I think that the people that come back again and again, that already know my music are always, they have really good taste in my songs. Like within my catalog, they pick the right ones. So I, that's, that's awesome. You know, that makes me feel great. That's, that's something.
0: That is awesome. And do you think that, are you seeing that a lot more now in the last year that people are are yearning for the ballads? Because it seems like it's a very reflective year and maybe people are headed that direction or has it always been that way?
2: I think it's always been that way. Interesting. So like my, yeah, like my diehard fans are into, are into the ballads. Um, I think that, actually I I kind of found there was a bit of the opposite going on which is that I felt this pressure to um like lighten people's loads every week and I so I just started doing this thing where I'm like this is a request line like just give me whatever you want like whatever you want I'll play and so I'll play some ballads but then people will just ask me for these like old pop songs that I wrote and I just have to play and I play them you know half assed. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here. And I just play them however they come out. And uh and it's not a, again, it's not about perfection. And people really appreciate it because and they're asking for some of the, like, you know, the really bouncy songs because people need a bounce right now. Right. <laughs> they right. need a little bopping.
0: I have in their been lives. The I have found this band, yeah. i about it a little bit before, but I found this band called Bad Nerves from the YouTube. And I, I they have been exactly what I've needed in this last year. They Cause they're sort of, they remind me a little bit of like, imagine like the Buzzcocks meets the Misfits. And mm, this, this British band and they just, it's like instant yeah. detonation, right? Like, like mm-hmm. literally there's a song called Electric 88 and I, I, all it takes is 15 minutes to be exhilarated. I'm sorry, 15 <laughs> seconds to be
1: exhilarated, <laughs> yes. right?
0: I guarantee yeah. you, you, check them out, b- Bad Nerves, Electric 88, 15 seconds. If you don't fall in love, I'll give you your money back for Zoom <laughs> or for Noom. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that they, I have found myself attracted to exhilaration in the last year yeah, or so. For sure. What kind of art have you found yourself consuming? Have you found you've been more reflective or looking for that velocity as well?
2: I mean, I, ha- I, I just asked for this poll from my, um, fans and i I got like 200 comments and i'm like okay now i have too much to look to sift through right now but my especially comedy has been um such a lifesaver for me and and it's always you know it's always been like i i've had years of my life where i fell asleep like listening to like eddie izzard or like reggie watts or whatever what have double Laney and um maria bamford i have I've been listening to a lot of Sarah Silverman's podcasts. I stayed away from her for many years because people would always compare me to her just because I'm like a, I guess, a Jewish personality with, and I'm brunette. I don't know. Um, But I was basically, I have some humor at times, um, (coughs) but I was like, "Ah, I'm going to you know, just stay away from this. People keep comparing me to her. And then I just kind of fell in love with this podcast and just how um, uh, unabashedly true and um, kind of raw and dirty and silly she is and uh, i think that yeah i think definitely the comedy has helped me um i've i got really into blondie again mm. for like just like for my walks i've been listening to cesaria avora um i've been listening to uh, I, I brought back one of social club um i've i've been watching like kind of silly movie the sh- like chef is amazing do you remember that movie the, chef I do about the about the taco truck
0: <laughs> oh I love that I love that movie is that the one with Sean Favreau yeah yes Sean
2: Favreau great you know like anything oh that's God. like kind of silly like not too serious but like well written that's why Fran Leibowitz is just like really doing it for me right now because she's just so uh she's so uh, I don't know she's kind of like very insulting and critical but but so right about most of what she says and so funny and so witty uh so I've been I've been just making sure to keep the lightness in there, a little bit, a little dose of that every day. And then, you know, meditating, et cetera. But the comedy, like the comedy albums have always really done it for me.
0: Yeah, I've done a lot of me too. I've been I've been going back to a lot of comedy, even rewatching Curb Your Enthusiasms yeah. and um, you know, I love it. I love Eddie as well. I love Dylan Moran. I've been doing a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, interesting you bring up the movie Chef because <clears throat> There's a moment in Chef where Oliver Platt is that the critic, the food critic, right? And he just torches him. Yes. Favreau comes out drunk, and he makes a really good point that I think about that every artist can make, where he says, I tried my best. Like I'm not trying to ruin you. I'm trying really hard to produce something you will like.
2: Right, right. Oh my god! First of all, can I just give you props for remembering an actual scene and line from something that you must have seen so long ago? So A while
0: ago. That's yeah. why
2: you do what you do because you just have <laughs> that. Got that stored in the in the banks. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Like we're just. Well, and and also like. Maria Bamford has this line in the beginning of her latest special um, where she's like talking to critics and she's like, great. She's like, thanks. And like, let's see what you can do while we're at it, Um, which is like, which is kind of along the same lines, which is, uh, you know, sometimes I read these, uh, I actually reread something from uh, a review from like 10 years ago on my first album that called me a Disney princess Oh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> You're like, she sounds like everyone. She's this Disney princess. She's not saying anything. And I was just thinking, like at the time when I made Taller Children, um, I was like, I had like an autoimmune disease. I was like suffering with my health. Um, and I, I was like, I'm still a kid. It's like, you know, early 20s. And I... like helped, we produced this thing ourselves, me and Danny, like at home. And we made this album that like, you know, then Verve picked up and it was like, it was doing, I mean, it did better than like all my other albums. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know. I hadn't found like my true voice with my first album yet, perhaps, but I think I was like, onto something at least and to just like read this, this, I, when I read that again, I was, I just laughed and I was like, you know, I've always wanted to sing like a Disney princess. I've always, you know, I, I wanted my voice to be like pure and perfect. And I never had that voice. I have this, like, you know, I have this like dirtier, more broken thing going on. And I was like, maybe I should take it like that. But also who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'll never, I'll never become the person that reads the reviews and just goes the good, the bad, all the same to me right like i'll never do that right <laughs> i'll right. always take it personally and then be like well i should weigh in this should be weighed into my compass of what's true in the world
0: well <laughs> when i when i put my first book out <clears throat> it was a book on the stone roses and yeah the first review i ever got this is a fr- it was the first review i got yeah. um was i can't believe this guy teaches college because I do. <laughs> And I was like, and I was like, well, I fucking do. <laughs> so, what, you know, what are you trying to take my job away and ruin my book? Um, but I yeah. remember thinking, like, okay, that was a pretty. And then he called me a Disney princess. Uh, <laughs> but he, but I thought, you know, that's a really like, what a savage thing to say about yeah. somebody. Um, and I thought, but you know, I still, I wrote the book I wanted to write, so I don't care what that guy says then I realized that if someone came back and said this this book is genius, I needed to sort of like weigh them the same because you can't take the praise and reject, right? Like you kind yeah. of figure out how to filter that in a healthy way. That's yeah. not easy.
2: Yeah, I mean, Maya Angelou has been quoted for saying that she like won't read any of her reviews. You know, yeah. it's not like, this is not like, no one like figures it out ever. Like After all these years, you don't like grow up and say, well now I'm really good about taking this very insulting uh <laughs> criticism uh I was told I actually had so- someone say something about on my last album It was actually there was some confusing because there were some really big compliments in the review and then they said something about how I was like a, a kind of like a fake composer or film composer, something like that it came along I came across that way, which is the same thing where you're like, what do I have to do to become a real one
0: to yeah. You? <laughs> yeah
2: amongst these 20 films what what do you think i have to do better um so it's uh (laughs) so it's just interesting you know it's interesting but but you know and i have a song that i wrote about the reviews which is uh the other side of zero which is like the title track to my second album which was you know a compliment or an insult is all just the same to me is like what i'm saying to myself in the song but i think it's always going to take a lot of work just to just to like you know, you're always building that thicker skin and then it gets broken down. And, And you know, we're these like dichotomies as artists because we're so vulnerable and we have to be so vulnerable in order to create what we create. We have to have our ear to the ground and be like, you know, kind of raw. And then and then we're also supposed to be like super tough. Right. You know, and just like not give a fuck.
0: Well, <laughs> and, and there's like like, for example, for the last book I wrote, someone on Goodreads wrote this really lovely review and I went, Oh, okay. And then they gave me one star. <laughs>
2: I <was> like, <laughs> Oh, they, they don't know how to do that part. They forgot. <laughs> it's <laughs> like when you forget to like give five stars on your lift. That's like, they didn't
0: know what they were doing. Yeah. In my brain, I was like, clearly you hit a bump is what happened. <laughs> right. Cause I was like, wait a second. Yeah. It's interesting how you sort of think about criticism and, and, and how you weigh that. And, You know, and everybody, I mean, it's amazing how if you read a series of reviews, like from one, you get emotional whiplash because someone loves it. Someone doesn't love it. And it's like, you can't please everybody. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like for example, if you look on Amazon for the Beatles white album, it's like five stars, five stars, but 20 reviews down, people are like, I never got this band. I hate this zero stars, you know, it's like, okay. So not everybody, there's no unanimous agreement on art or anything. You know.
2: Absolutely. And then that comes to people that are kind of stalkerishly anti what you do. And then you have to just take that as a compliment. I had this guy named Charlie Brown who would basically just insult me for the first like five years of my career online. And he would just say things like, uh, this reminded me of this because you were talking about the Beatles, but he would say, like, you're a Beatles wannabe band, but you have like, you're not saying anything. Your lyrics are meaningless. And this is just a wannabe band. And then he would like say it over and over again, like always. And I was like, should I block this guy? Cause I'm kind of getting to know him. No, no, maybe he's like an integral part of my like
0: growth experience. <laughs> he's yeah. so consistent. He, yeah. He, <laughs> it, right. I was consistently not satisfying his artistic craving. <laughs> like what the hell? Like that's my job is to please Charlie Brown. <laughs> Insane. Well, I mean, um, but it's funny you say the Sarah Silverman thing. I, as a Jewish guy out here in the Bay area, when John Stewart was on the air for the daily show, all my student evaluations were like, he's like John Stewart. It's like nearest Jewish guy that you can think of as a, (laughs) like, like, okay, I get what you mean. He's like a Jewish guy that makes me learn things and laugh. (laughs) So I get, I totally get that. Um, it's
2: like could be worse. Could be a worse comparison. Yeah.
0: It could be worse. Um, are as we end here? Are you pretty optimistic? Are you pretty hopeful for the future? Do you feel things are going to be okay? <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to put wow. on you for a final question.
2: Well, I was I was watching Bill Maher the other day, and he was like, you know, every presidency is just undoing the last presidency. So like, we don't really know like how much growth we're actually taking <laughs> forward. Right how much we're moving forward when there's so much to undo here. And there's so much, obviously uniting the country, etc. It's like, who, who, who the hell knows how much work is left to do here? Um, I think that I'm relieved, like a lot of people I know that Trump is gone and I'm relieved that my parents just got the first vaccine. And I think that, you know, we can just get that going a little, you know, like i a little worried about the new strains, like just what everyone's going through. Um, But I think that, um, I think that I, I, think I'm just, you know, I think you have to be, or one, I have to be at least grateful for the, the little steps forward. That's what I got. And I, and I also like, I'm trying to make like gratefulness logs in the morning and like, imagine beautiful things and like do like little I call them imagination station sessions where I'm like imagining good things in the world and like remembering good things. And, you know, I'm hippieing out over here, doing my best (laughs) just to even the playing field, even, you know? Um, So I think that's where I I stand. I'm going to leave it with imagination station.
0: I love it. Um, I hope you'll come back on. It was so fun to talk to you.
2: This was great. You were so great. You're such a good interviewer. And it was really a pleasure to
0: Isn't she great? That's Elizabeth Simon from Elizabeth and the Catapult. Uh, I love that chat, and I love the new album. Sincerely E is what it's called, and it's very easily one of my favorites of the year. It's a really, really beautiful album. It's fun. It's dark. It's joyful. It's mournful. It's everything. And it's going to bring you hours and hours of pleasure. All right? So go get it. Elizabeth and the Catapult dot com is where you need to go. Alexgreenonline.com is where you need to go to find out about me. Uh, of course, if you listen to this program, uh, I always talk about what's going on, so I can save you the time. But uh you know, it wouldn't hurt to stop by and say hello uh, on that uh that silly little page I have going there. I gotta update it too. It's a little old. I think I'm uh talking about the Eisenhower administration. I gotta really uh pull it back to modern culture. Uh bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station, see what makes us tick. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast, or you can email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com. All right, Back. Trust me. You'll be hearing from me. Uh, <laughs> who do you want on the program, by the way? Who should I, who should I bring back? Who should I go after? You let me know. I know I let you know where this podcast can be found every single show we do, but we have to do that. Stereo Embers, the podcast can be found on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave us a rating, maybe a nice comment or two, something about the way we dress. You know, these little compliments, they go a long way in the digital universe, especially for those of us with fragile egos. Uh, by the way, If you tell a friend about Stereo Embers, the podcast, is there some kind of discount on your next purchase? (laughs) No, we haven't worked that out yet, but we would certainly appreciate it. Tell a friend. Have them tell a friend. Tell them to tell all their friends. And soon, oh man, everybody's friend will know about this program. That's all that matters to us. Uh, We're going to close the show with a longer listen to Elizabeth and the Catapult's new single, Thirsty. Check it out. Enjoy it. And I'll see you next time. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we'll see you right here for our next episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio.
1: Thinking of you makes a twitch, makes me itch, and I'm in all the wrong places, kid, till it stings like a bitch. And your fingerprints are faded tattoos on my porcelain skin when I feel like a guest. And my own queen bed when i soak in a scrub But I'll never forget you despite all my friends And the better judgments, yes Nevertheless, I'm so thirsty, thirsty, thirsty Thinking of you makes me twitch, makes me itch And now my pants don't fit like they used to fit This is what you call I'm making up. But God knows you're not worthy, worthy, worthy. Yeah. But I'm thirsty, thirsty, thirsty. Thinking of you makes me twitch, makes me itch, and I'm sick in all the wrong places. Kid till your fingerprints are faded tattoos on my porcelain skin When I think of all the time I wasted on trying It feels like a lifetime spent doing nothing Oh my my, it's just so damn appalling